0: Welcome to the premiere episode of Life in the Time of Corona, a podcast exploring the many ways to stay healthy and sane in these strange times. I'm Dr. Saul Rosenthal, a developmental and clinical health psychologist. Staying healthy during the COVID-19 pandemic is about more than the virus. We are all suddenly cut off from our normal lives. Friendships, school, work, religious worship, even shopping and entertainment have all transformed overnight. In this podcast, I'll talk with experts to get their perspectives on living our best lives in these difficult circumstances. We'll talk about the professional advice and some of their personal experiences. I'm really fortunate today to welcome Dr. Ina Kazan to the podcast. Dr. Kazan is an expert in mindfulness and biofeedback, focusing on health psychology and optimal performance. In addition to her private practice, she is a faculty member of Harvard Medical School, speaks and teaches internationally and consults with corporations and organizations that vary from the Stuttgart Opera and Ballet Company to the U.S. Army Special Forces. She's on the boards of directors for many professional organizations and is the author of numerous articles, including some recent pieces for psychologytoday.com about adapting to the new normal. I'll link to those in the show notes. She also has written two excellent books about biofeedback and mindfulness, The Clinical Handbook of Biofeedback, a step-by-step guide for training and practice with mindfulness, and Biofeedback and Mindfulness in Everyday Life, Practical Solutions for Improving Your Health and Performance. Ina, welcome to the premiere episode of Life in the Time of Corona.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Saul. It's a pleasure.
0: So right now, the U.S. death toll just went over 10,000, and here in Massachusetts, we may be at the start of the surge of cases that are expected to peak in a week or so. We're under a stay-at-home advisory, and the city of Boston is starting a curfew tonight at 9 o'clock. So needless to say, all of our lives have turned upside down. What are some of the ways that the coronavirus is affecting your life?
1: Well, I'm uh, no longer seeing people in person as professionally uh, and well and personally as well. Uh, That's probably the biggest uh, change and the most difficult one. Um, You know, moving my practice uh, online and, you know, figuring out ways to stay in touch with friends and family, uh, not in person.
0: And uh, what's it been like for the family?
1: The kids have had to adjust to having some sort of schedule at, at home. They're quite pleased not to be in school. Uh, and the, the weather is getting nicer. So that's certainly you know a good thing. We're fortunate enough to have a yard. So they have a place uh, you know to run around and get some of their energy out. Uh, but they do have some school assignments. And uh, um, they're having a little bit of trouble adjusting to the fact that they have to do those without actually being in school. It's a work in progress.
0: So I guess it's sort of paralleling all of our struggles that we're all adjusting to this uh, these new situations. Exactly. So obviously everything is uh, different, and there's a lot of change and uncertainty. What is it about a situation like this that really drives up our stress levels?
1: The unfamiliarity of it and the uncertainty of it. We deal with uncertainties uh, all the time in our daily lives, uh, but those are familiar uncertainties. You know, we on a rational level fully recognize that you know when we get into a car you know there we're taking some risk and it's not entirely certain what's going to happen and whether we're going to arrive home in one piece but we tend not to think about it very much because it is something that we're used to it is the kind of uncertainty we're used to Um, this is a very different kind of uncertainty Uh, it's new it's unfamiliar uh, and because of that it is that much more scary Even with the uncertainty of something like the flu, which the coronavirus has been, you know, compared to in all sorts of ways recently, but, you know, the flu happens every year and most of us don't spend a lot of time thinking about it, even though it does affect a lot of people in very negative ways, but it is something that we're used to. The coronavirus is not something we're used to. We do not know what we're dealing with um, and the uncertainty is not one that uh, we are able to recognize and integrate into our uh, daily lives.
0: So risks that we're used to, we don't fear as much, even though they're risky. And it's Mm -hmm. this this thing that we're not, we just don't know enough about it. Exactly. And, And from what you're hearing from your clients, what are some of the biggest challenges they're dealing with?
1: In in very very similar challenges to you know what you and I are probably dealing with, you know, moving their work online or losing their jobs because they're not the kinds of jobs that can be moved online. So that is incredibly stressful for a lot of people, uh, figuring out how to keep their uh, kids you know safe, healthy, and entertained. You know if their people are working from home, how to at the same time also take care of children, especially if they're young children. Uh, that is an uh, extremely difficult uh, um, challenge to overcome for a lot of people. Um, and then even like daily things like you know grocery shopping uh, or you know running out you know to get something that you're missing from the recipe is suddenly uh, a big deal. It is it's suddenly a challenge. Whereas in the past it was not something that we even had to think about. Uh, so on a daily basis we encounter these uh, uh, challenges ranging from really big ones to small ones that are new and unfamiliar.
0: Yeah, we found that even things like you're saying groceries, we sort of have to think three or four days ahead of where we used to try to think. Um, so it's, it's all of this, uh, stress and new, th- new ways to do things. Mm-hmm. So with all of this stress, can you, can you talk a little bit about what the effects of chronic stress are on us, um, physically, emotionally, socially?
1: Absolutely. Um, so one, one distinction I would like to make is a distinction between acute stress and chronic stress. Uh, our bodies, our minds are made for dealing with acute stressors, stressors that come our way that we deal with, and then we're able to move on. That is okay. That kind of stress does not uh, impact our health. It does not uh, damage our well-being long-term. Um uh, Chronic stress does become problematic, uh, whether uh, because the stress in itself, uh, in the external stress, is just never-ending or because our response to the stressors that happen uh, is such that we're not able to recover and we're not able to let go of the stressors that come along. And right now, both of those are happening to a lot of people. Uh, on the one hand, the situation that's happening externally uh, is one that we don't know when is going to end and presents with continued stressors in many dimensions. And then on the other hand, a lot of people are having trouble letting go, uh, even as they're meeting each individual stressor throughout the day. Uh, it's difficult to let go. It's difficult to recover. It's difficult not to continue getting engaged and getting stuck. You know, for example, continuously searching out uh, information online, on, in social media, you know, trying to figure out what's going to happen, trying to figure out how this is going to affect us in the long term, et cetera, trying to find answers to questions that really just do not have answers right now. So when we get stuck uh, in uh, difficult thoughts feelings and situations without being able to recover um, our bodies uh, do experience effects of prolonged stress you know our hearts may need to uh, work a bit harder than they typically do Your gastrointestinal system uh, maybe having trouble regulating itself you know breathing may be uh, dysregulated uh, you know we, we may develop physiological symptoms that are a response to stress such as you know pain you know back pain headaches uh, you know stomach aches things like that Um, and then a lot of people just find themselves feeling uh, on edge or keyed up or agitated a lot of the time they find they're anxious a lot more throughout the day um, than they had been um, a few weeks ago Um, and then if that is not ending you know it might uh, create, uh, s- things like having trouble sleeping, uh, um, you know, having trouble, you know, focusing and thinking straight throughout the day. Um, and you know, if this goes on long enough, it can have some uh, adverse, uh, uh long-term uh, health effects as well.
0: Yeah. And certainly I'm getting, uh, I'm sure like you, a lot of, uh, complaints from my clients about trouble sleeping and focusing things like that. And it also, um, is certainly nowhere near the end of what's going on. So some of these effects that you, you are uh, referring to, we may start to experience with the, uh, the effects of chronic stress. Um, do, can you tell us a little bit about what sort of those longer term effects might be?
1: With long term uh, exposure to stress that does not um, have a resolution where we're not recovering uh, properly, uh, insomnia, for example, might become long term. And we know mm. that that has some adverse uh, consequences on health, uh, uh, from things like a higher likelihood of obesity uh, to, you know, heart disease. Um, same thing with uh, prolonged uh, anxiety, um, it might eventually um, have uh, consequences such as, uh, you know, heart disease or greater likelihood of uh, high blood pressure. People might develop pain that becomes more chronic um, over time.
0: Now, you obviously do a lot of work uh, in, in the area of mindfulness. And one of the things you'd said that this, uh, this two issues, the, the one that the stress does not end, and the other that uh, the response itself to the stress is problematic. It seems to me that mindfulness can be uh, a useful Uh, approach to try to differentiate between those two things. I'm I'm wondering if you have any thoughts uh, about what people can do.
1: Yeah, so I think that most importantly, uh, we can start with differentiating between what we can and cannot control. A lot of the time when we're distressed, our minds try to find things that are under our control uh, and unfortunately our minds automatically are not always very good at being able to tell the difference between what is and is not an, under our control. you know very often our minds will focus in on things like thoughts and feelings in an attempt to change uncomfortable thoughts and distressing feelings when in reality we simply don't have control over those. You know think about the last time you tried to stop thinking about something. Mm -hmm. Or the last time you tried to stop feeling something, you know, how well did that work? Right? I'm willing to bet that for most of the time when we try to uh, stop thinking or feeling something, those thoughts and feelings just come back at us that much stronger. So our minds are focusing in on things that are not under our control and then spending a lot of time, energy, and internal resources on an to control something that is not under our control. We inevitably set ourselves up for failure, uh, and then we do not have enough resources, uh, time, energy, uh, you know, basic things like blood glucose uh, left uh, in order to focus on things that actually are under our control, which is how do you respond to difficult thoughts and Feelings and what do you do in a difficult situation? You know, how do you figure out when it's safe to go out? Uh, You know, how do you figure out how to keep your uh, family safe? You know, how do you figure out how to do grocery shopping? Things like that. Um, When we're spending a lot of our time trying to control things that are not under our control, uh, there's simply not enough resources left on figuring out things that would have been under our control otherwise.
0: So you're finding that people are focusing more on. Almost the things that they can't control, like the spread of the virus. So spending hours mm-hmm. and hours a day, things like that. And exactly. what you're suggesting is we we focus on maybe even just the mundane things, like when are you going to go shopping?
1: Absolutely. Uh, thinking about what is under your control. If you find yourself in a difficult uh, situation, you know you're feeling um, you're really distressed, or you find yourself having uh, troubling thoughts. You are, you know, find yourself, you know, digging online and looking for answers, not finding anything what I suggest is stopping and just asking yourself the question of, okay, what is under my control in this situation? What is in my best interest as far as how to respond to this? So if the questions going through your mind is, you know, what's going to happen with this virus? You know, is my family going to be safe? Am I going to be safe? You know, what's going to happen, you know, with my job? Uh, All these questions that we do not have particularly good answers to, but there are things that are under our control to to an extent, right? If we're thinking about how am I going to keep my family safe, it's helpful to have a flexible plan. How are you going to do grocery shopping? Are you going to wear a mask uh, when you go out? You know, how how is that mask going to come about? Is that going to be, you know, something you'll have, Stashed away from a few years, you know, from your past construction project, uh, or you're going to make a, uh, you know, a cloth mask that, you know, there are lots of instructions going around online and, uh, um, you know, be able to p- protect other people when you go outside. So having some sort of uh, flexible plan that you have control over in response to, uh, you know, difficult thoughts and feelings can be helpful because it actually accomplishes uh, a goal that's realistic.
0: So even if the task may not seem to be as big as stopping the virus, it can still be useful.
1: Exactly. I think it can be extremely useful. And then a collection of those small um, actions uh, add up to a really big one, uh, Whereas stopping the virus while sitting in your living room is, you know, as as wonderful as it sounds, it's just not going to happen.
0: Right. so you're not saying don't worry about things, because obviously there are realistic things to worry about, uh, like jobs and uh, risk. Um, For example, you know, in my my household, I'm living with um, my mother-in-law, who's in her late 80s and has COPD and uh, respiratory illness. So there's real risk there uh, compared to uh, other other groups of people so what could i do for example maybe to worry a little bit less about her health
1: well um as you said the worry is inevitable right she is an important part uh, of your family she's an important part of your life you're not going to stop worrying about her um, and and she is part of the group that is um a more concerning if she were to uh, be exposed to the virus so the worry the presence of the worry makes sense and there is nothing you could do to make it go away but when you notice the worry the question to ask yourself is okay it is okay for me to feel this way that makes sense what is in my best interest as far as the response? What is under my control? You know, if, you know I suspect you probably already have a plan for, you know, how you might uh, protect your mother-in-law from exposure. Uh, but, you know, if, if not, that it will be a good time to sit down and think about it. You know, maybe sit down as a whole family and think through, you know, how are you going to run your uh, daily uh, tasks uh, that minimizes the risk of exposure to your mother-in-law?
0: Yeah, that's what we are certainly trying to do that. Now, now you obviously, you know, you've done a lot of work in this area and have developed a model for it. I wonder if you, you could tell us a bit about that.
1: Yeah, so at this point, most people have probably figured out a plan, uh, hopefully a flexible one. A lot of people have an idea of how they're going to do things and how they're going to respond. Uh, so the difficulty really comes up uh, when people encounter thoughts, uh, feelings that are distressing, uh, that are really troubling, and ones that they do not have control over. Uh, so the model I have uh, developed for coping with difficult thoughts and feelings as a way of giving us a helpful way to respond to those thoughts and feelings without getting stuck in unhelpful efforts to control what is not under our control. Uh, so the, the model uh, goes under the acronym of FLARE, F-L-A-R-E, uh, where the F stands for feel. And that is just a pre-verbal awareness of the present experience in the moment. What is happening right now, uh, it is what's let's, what lets you know that there is some sort of problem. Calls your attention to the situation. And then the next uh, step is label, um, L in flare. Uh, and it's giving a short, non judgmental label to the experience, giving the experience a name. This process reverses the pattern of activation in your brain. It actually quiets down the fear response that typically um, happens when we find ourselves stressed or anxious about something uh, and increases the activation of the prefrontal part of the brain, which is responsible for helping us regulate our emotions uh, and choose our actions. So an action that is fairly simple to perform, giving a name to our experience, produces profound changes uh, in the underlying function of the brain, which then allows us to figure out how to respond to the difficult situation as opposed to going with an unhelpful automatic response. So a, a label might be something like, this is unhelpful thinking, or I'm experiencing uncertainty, or this is tension, this is distress, uh, this is worry, this is anxiety. Something that is brief, non judgmental, and descriptive, meaning that if you were to tell somebody else what your label is for this experience, they would have a fairly good idea of what you're talking about. Now, the next step is A, that's allow. And the idea here is uh, we do not have control over our thoughts and feelings. We do not have control over the experience the way it's happening in this moment, and attempts to do so waste our resources. So A stands for it is okay to feel this way. Allow yourself to feel the way you feel. Allow the thoughts that are happening in the present moment to be there. What this step does is it allows us to disengage from unhelpful efforts to control the uncontrollable, which then waste our resources. By allowing to disengage from that struggle, those resources are now available for the next step, which is our response response. We can now use all those resources in figuring out the best way to respond to the present situation. And uh, one of the first questions to ask yourself when you're figuring out how to respond is what is under my control? What is in my best interest in how to respond? Oftentimes, the only things we can do have to do with creating a more comfortable internal environment for ourselves because uh, practically we've already done most things that needed to be done. If not, of course, this may be a good time to address those practical steps. As far as addressing our own internal experience uh, when it comes to the response, taking some breaths can be really helpful. Breathing dysregulation is often one of the first uh, things that happen with anxiety, So rather than taking deep breaths, which uh, you may have been uh, kind of taught to do, or you may think that's uh, the best possible thing to do, I would actually encourage you to take low and slow breaths instead, only because the way we often take deep breaths, especially when we're already stressed and anxious, actually leads to a, a physiological dysregulation and breathing out too much carbon dioxide, which, which then prevents the oxygen that we do have from going to where it needs to go. So a low and slow breath is one where you take shift your breath to the belly, that's the low part, uh, and then take a normal size inhalation as if you're smelling a flower. And then slowing down your breathing, particularly extending the exhale, breathing out through pursed lips as if you're blowing out a candle. So normal size inhalation allowing the air to reach the very bottom of your lungs and then a long, slow, complete exhalation as if you're blowing out a candle. This kind of breathing optimizes your respiratory uh, physiology. Uh, it allows the intensity of the present experience to become just a little bit uh, lower. Uh, it re- reduces uh, uh, the potential uh, confusion that's happening in your brain if there was some breathing dysregulation, if you were actually not getting quite enough oxygen. So this will allow you to restore uh, the physiological balance you need in order to uh, feel calmer and be able to respond to the present situation in a helpful way. So that's one way to respond. Of course, there are lots and lots of others. Um, and if you have some mindfulness training of uh, a brief meditation might be helpful. Um, holding something um, like a smooth stone in your hands and allowing your attention to come to those stones can be also helpful in order to decrease the intensity of, dis- of distress in a situation like this. And very importantly, bringing kindness to yourself in that situation. And from a self- self-talk of, oh, you know, here we go. Why are you doing this to yourself and other, you know, mean things that we often say to ourselves when we're having a hard time. Instead, thinking about how might I respond to a friend or somebody that I care very much about who is experiencing similar feelings? What might I say to them? And then actually using those words and that same caring tone for yourself. Uh, that will go a long way. Now, the final step in flare, E, stands for expand awareness. And that has to do with reducing the narrow focus that we have on a difficult situation and allowing that focus to broaden so that the difficult experience becomes just a part of your awareness not all of your awareness uh, when we find ourselves you know having difficult thoughts difficult feelings it appears that everything is colored by that you know if we're anxious you know the whole world just appears to be one big ball of anxiety around us everything is just really dark and scary if we were to take a step back and notice other, sensations around us external and internal then that anxiety becomes a part of the experience not all of the experience Um, so practically speaking what this might be is uh, taking a look at you know what do you see in front of you what can you hear what can you taste what can you smell what can you touch so using your five senses to expand awareness in that moment and then bringing your attention inside feeling your breathing feeling your heartbeat Perhaps you have an itchy nose or maybe your stomach is growling because it's time for lunch. Just observing those physiological sensations and integrating all of that into your experience, the difficult, the neutral, and maybe even the pleasant.
0: One of the things that I I try to do uh, to remind myself uh, is to, you know, I wake up every morning and think about the 300 crises that I have to deal with. That's, I guess, the feeling part. But then I, I quickly know myself well enough and the situation well enough that I can label those as what I am calling crises and probably exaggerating to some extent and sort of allow for that again, because I kind of know that that's who I am. And then I sort of think through, okay, well, what actually has to happen today? So my daughter needs to be scheduled for school. I need to walk the dog. I need to prepare for my, my clients. Um, but moving, moving towards sort of a, the, the expanded awareness, one thing uh, that I try to do is remind myself how fortunate I am to be able to have a place that where I'm living and I'm, we're not too cramped here, and that I'm still seeing clients and earning a living. And I remind myself of those things and remind myself to feel gratitude about those. I'm wondering if that, that seems to kind of fit into that idea of expanded awareness.
1: Absolutely, and really, really beautifully. When we're having a hard time, especially when that hard time is not uh, stopping anytime soon, our minds are evolutionarily predisposed to just be on the lookout for the negative, the scary, the difficult, uh, and it's really easy to get caught up in that. And then our minds don't let go, and it just again it just feels like we're stuck in this big ball of bad stuff happening. Reminding yourself to take a step back um, and notice what you're grateful for or even just what it is that you're appreciating uh, can be really uh, important. And I would encourage people to focus specifically on the little things. Of course, it's great to be, um, you know, helpful, uh, to be grateful or appreciative of your um, health or your family or your friends. Of course, and I would at the same time I would also encourage you to be uh, grateful or appreciative of, you know, the sunshine outside uh, or the extra big hug your child gave you that morning uh, or their. Nice thing, uh, you know, your client said to you at, at the end of the session, appreciating the work you've been doing. Um, so, those things that are fairly small, and our minds are again evolutionarily predisposed to kind of let go and not focus on because they are not vital to our physical survival. And yet, those small uh, things we appreciate or are grateful for are actually vital for our emotional um, survival. So making a point to notice those small things that are happening um, throughout the day, perhaps write, writing them down at the end of the day, You know, maybe keeping a small uh, notebook on your uh, nightstand where at the end of the day you write down three things you've appreciated or been grateful for uh, that day. Um, what that does is it actually trains your brain to be more on the lookout for those uh, positive things, uh, and then your brain is much more likely to notice that and to take in the full level of awareness, not just the negative, but also uh, the positives, those are much more likely to just become a part of your awareness.
0: And do you you have any thoughts about how we might help each other with this, whether we're partners or parents to children?
1: Um, Yeah, I think just uh, walking each other through some of those steps, Um, you know, maybe, you know, with your partner talking about, well, this is something that seems helpful to me, you know, can we do this uh, together? Uh, If I'm having a hard time, could you walk me through this? You know, what's the F, what's the L, what's the A, uh, what's the R, what's the E? Um, You can certainly do this with children. Um, Even young children uh, will be able to do some version um, of flair. Maybe you don't have name, you know, each step quite in the same way that we talked about just now, but you can certainly ask a child, all right, what are you feeling in your body right now for F? Um, What might you call those feelings? That's the label. And it's just remind yourself it's okay to feel this way. Let's say that together. It's okay to feel this. For response, uh, whatever may be appropriate for your child, let's take three nice slow breaths together. Smelling a flower on the way in, blowing out a candle on the way out and then let you know for expanding awareness you know tell me what you see and what you hear and what you smell and what you touch etc you can walk a child through that you know you can uh, walk your partner through that you can ask your partner to help uh, you uh, walk through uh, those steps they are uh, concrete enough uh, um, that uh, anybody can do it
0: well, thank you very much. This is certainly something I can talk about all day, um, but we are running out of time. I was wondering if I could just take a few moments to ask you a few quick one thing questions. Of course. Um, So just starting with, you know, what is one thing you're doing to take care of yourself?
1: Eh, good question. Uh, I am doing the best I can to get out and, and move um, because I'm no longer going into the office, you know I don't have the little opportunities uh, to move that I used that I used to have. It used to be that I would take the stairs you know, whenever I was you know going up to my office or getting out of the parking garage. And I'm not doing that anymore. Um, so I, I do the best I can to um, get out and move, you know, I can't go to the gym, uh, but I can you know go for a walk on a hilly uh, neighborhood where I live and make sure that that becomes part of my new uh, routine. And it's much easier said than done. Uh, and some days are certainly better than others. But that's my, uh, one of the more important goals I have for myself right now.
0: And and what is one thing that you think has really changed?
1: Internally or externally? Either one. Hmm. Um, I think what has there are obvious, uh, you know, external changes like staying at home more and, you know, being on a video screen um, a lot more. But I think internally, what I find changing a lot of me really putting a lot of attention towards changing is um, kindness, compassion and self compassion, uh, because things are so difficult right now for so many people. And when people are having a hard time, you know, it's uh, we get snappier, uh, we get more impatient, um, and I think it's really important f- to approach ourselves with kindness when we notice ourselves being snappier and more impatient, and approach our family members with kindness when they are getting snappier and more impatient. You know, uh, my children, you know, have gotten into more spats with each other than perhaps they normally do, um, and even though my Initial internal responses. Oh, are you at it again? And sometimes that's exactly what comes out of my mouth. Uh, but I do the best I can to take a step back and ask, "What are you struggling with right now? What's going on?" Because it, they are not being mean to each other because they are mean people. They're having a hard time with something at that moment. Um, you know, if my my husband snaps at me for something. I realize it is not because he wants to be mean to me. It's because something is going on for him. And um, you know, I know my husband and I have had this discussion. He does the same with me. If I snap at him, he knows that there is something going on for me. So we we do the best we can to approach each other with more kindness uh, and compassion. And that goes a very long way uh, in managing the craziness that's going on right now.
0: So trying to be more deliberate about kindness and compassion and how we're approaching each other.
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: And finally, what is one thing that people should take away from
1: this? (sighs) This is a difficult time for everybody. At this point, pretty much everybody in the world feels very similar feelings. Uh, So even though we are physically more distant and perhaps more physically disconnected, there is a part of us that's actually very much more connected um, than you know, we usually are, you know, because we're all going through the same scary experience. So it is okay to be afraid. It is okay uh, to be uncertain. Uh, it is okay to have a hard time. It does not make us weak. Uh, it does not make us incapable. It makes us human. And if we allow ourselves, to be human, that we're actually going to be in a much better shape to figure out how to best respond to it, how to best take care of ourselves and the people that are important to
0: us. A lot of insight and practical recommendations for managing our coronavirus stress from Dr. Ina Kazan. This has been the premier episode of Life in the Time of Corona. I hope you found it useful and interesting. You can subscribe to the show at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate the show and leave comments. Find out more at my website, Saul rosenthalphd.com and follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Dr. Saul Rosenthal. That's D-R Saul Rosenthal. Dr. Ina Kazan is a clinical health and performance psychologist in the Boston area. She is also a faculty member at Harvard Medical School, teacher and speaker extraordinaire, and author of many articles and two books on mindfulness and biofeedback. You can find her at inakazan.com. Ina, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This was a really great, important conversation.
0: And thank you, listeners. I look forward to continuing the conversation on life in the time of Corona.